We're going to be journeying through <clears throat> the book of Acts this morning and the explicit occurrences where baptism happens. And I read through this um, yesterday, and ironically, I found 12 uh, occurrences where there's explicit baptisms in the book of Acts. Now, I don't know if that's intentional, the Holy Spirit, or me just maybe missing one or two there, but um, I thought it was fascinating to come out, to come out with, with 12 different sections here in the book of Acts on, on baptism. So let's look at Acts chapter 1, and we're going to let the Word of God do its work here and, um, and just read it. Talk about it briefly, but we're going to try to get through all 12 occurrences here in the next 30 minutes. The first time, the first um, time that we see uh, baptism occur in Acts, it's within the first five verses of the book. So, starting with Acts one verse one, in the first book, O Theophilus. Now, Theophilus is is a Greek word, um, is a Greek name, and it's it's the combination of two words. Um, Theos is God, and Phileo is uh, lover. So, is it really a man named Theophilus, or is he writing to those who love God, uh, lover, a lover of God? Um, either way, Luke is writing this book to a God lover. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So right out of the gate in the book of Acts, we're introduced to baptism again. Now flip back to Luke 3.16. Because St. Luke is writing the book of Acts, and he's mindful of this passage that he wrote in his first book to Theophilus, or to, to us, those who love God. He writes in 3.16, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Okay, so there's this correlation that Luke is drawing upon. There's this baptism of John. And then there's this baptism of Jesus, and what does Luke say right from the beginning of his gospel? He's quoting a promise that Jesus said, right? Wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So... So far, we can, we can kind of 
summarize that John began this work of baptism. He, he baptizes for the repentance of sins. But Jesus is going to complete it. He has a baptism with the Holy Spirit that is coming. And, and we're told um, water, spirit, and then one other element. Fire. Fire. Be watching for these things. So we go to Acts chapter 2. Yes, David. Was baptism something they did before John the Baptist at all, or is that just something he kind of started and then Jesus improved on whatever he Yeah, that's a good question. We, we are given um, different washing rituals in the Old Testament that is kind of this ritualistic washing of cleansing oneself. And the, the Hebrew people, they would call them mikvahs, that these what we would call a font now a baptismal font but or maybe a, a small pool but a mikvah always had uh, running water and you would utilize it to kind of go through some sort of a cleansing ritual before certain things but but john i think is a little unique because john comes out in a very public manner at the jordan river calling out to all of israel repent and be baptized in the Jordan and his baptism it stirs up the religious leaders so there's something troubling about that baptism because it wasn't something the religious leaders were doing it was a little bit out of out of norm yeah well, Timothy. the first thing it wasn't at the temple right <clears throat> it's not at the temple it's not well, the ritualistic yeah, washing Probably not clean water, no. And, and no. it wasn't well, Levites. Supposedly they were upstream yeah. of the cows. So. Oh, nah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and, and, and you know, this is, it, uh, even in our, in our churches today and in our fonts, there's, a, there's, I don't know if you guys had the debate whenever you were setting up your baptismal font, but typically this conversation comes up at some point. Is it going to be running water? Or is it going to be still water? And some churches will run a um, water line to the font so that it's always running. And this gets back to the idea of the mikvah, that, that the, the baptismal water ought to be a living water, always moving. Um, and this is where these things come from. But, but the emphasis is not on the water, but on the word of God that is in the water, as we'll see. But... Um, but yeah, good question. So immediately in Acts 2, we have the coming of the Holy Spirit. And we took, to, we, we took a look at this last week together. Um, so we don't need to go into all of it. But, but of course, we have the fire, the tongues of fire that fall on the, the apostles here. Verse 3, divided tongues as a fire appeared, rested on each one of them, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then we go down to verse 38. And uh, Peter says to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. 
And so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, let's go to Acts 8. This is the next Occurrence. Yeah, David. Question. Uh huh. I have a, I don't know what religion is Baptist word. Okay. Well, you're supposed to just baptize in the name of Jesus Christ because that's what it says here. Instead of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I mean, I don't agree with that, but that's sure they pull that one verse out and say that. Yeah. Well, so the church has always understood to baptize in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a formula for the baptism Jesus gave us, which is given to us in Matthew's gospel. Jesus told us explicitly, baptize all nations in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so when the apostles, as we'll see in the book of Acts, talk about the baptism in the Lord, they're referring back to the baptism Jesus gave us, which is explicit. Right. So you can only make this argument if you forget Matthew's well, gospel yeah, exists. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but I've heard it said, don't I? Yeah. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah. I mean, we would, we have to keep all of the scripture in mind, mm -hmm. and good theology does that. Um, so when we get confused about, well, here they're just baptizing in the name of the Lord Jesus. So which baptism do you do? Do you baptize in the name of the Lord Jesus and you're done? Or do you do... No, Jesus has already clarified. He made very clear right before he ascended into heaven how to baptize. And the apostles who are sent out by him, um, they, they uh, develop this language of being baptized in the name of the Lord means to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Does that help? Yeah, well, that's... Yeah, I had someone to bring that up one day. Right. Well, there's another point though, and I don't remember where it is. Where yeah. the people come and are saying we don't really have all of this, and they were saying they were baptized only in the Lord Jesus, and the disciples say, "Oh, well, you missed part of it." No, that's well, we'll get there. That's Acts 19. Okay. They run into some disciples who were only who were baptized in a John's baptism, and they don't even they haven't even. This will help clarify okay, that's, that's, it. They haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit okay. because the disciples say, well, whose baptism were you baptized into if you've never heard of the Holy Spirit? And they say, John's. And they say, oh, you need to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And so they baptize them in the Lord Jesus' baptism because in Jesus' baptism is the name of the Father, Son, and right. Holy okay, Spirit. So that's yeah. the verse you need to go. And, yeah, and the exactly. Yeah, yeah, we'll get help there. Help explain. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so Acts 8, um, we get uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, verses 26 through 40. So let's take a look at this. An angel of the Lord says to Philip, Rise and go towards the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place, and he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in this chariot and he was reading the prophet Isaiah and the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before it shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. 
Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, and Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. So we know from the story uh, that Philip had to have expounded on the prophet Isaiah on baptism. Part of his proclamation of Jesus, it had to have included the proclamation that all of this could be yours and the waters of baptism. Why else would the eunuch cry out, here's water? I mean, he's excited. Lo, water, it says in the Greek. Or, ah, water. What prevents me from being baptized? You can hear the excitement in his voice because he sees it as a gift. He wants the baptism. And when he asks about a, about a, a hindrance to being baptized, you know, what prevents me from being baptized, he's indicating that he, he doesn't, he's not aware of one, but, he, but he's leaving it to the knowledge of his teacher. Right? He's asking Philip as to whether or not his presupposition is correct. Is there anything that prevents me from this? Because just like in Acts 2, he's submitting himself to the, the apostolic teaching, just like the crowds say to Peter and the apostles, what do we do? They're submitting themselves. So this eunuch is saying to Philip, what prevents me? Does anything prevent me? He's submitting himself to Philip. Philip says, not at all, let's go get you baptized, right? And so he does right there in the moment, and the Spirit comes to him. Um, so here we're, we see baptism, a third occurrence in the book of Acts. Any questions about the Ethiopian eunuch here? It shouldn't get lost on us that he's in a chariot filled with treasure of the queen. But that is not what he longs for. He wants those waters of baptism more than anything else. So he stops the chariot. He can leave all that behind. He wants the water of God. Okay, the next time it occurs is the very next chapter, Acts 9, when we have the conversion of Saul. So this is, um, this is, we get the story of how Saul is converted to Paul, changed to Paul, and then responsible for nearly half of our New Testament. Uh, beginning with verse 1. Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now I want to stop there just to make the brief point. That who is Saul persecuting physically? The Christians. The Christians, individual believers, men and women. He's persecuting them. Who does Jesus say he's persecuting? 
himself. Why are you, he doesn't say, why are you persecuting these believers? Jesus says to Paul, why are you persecuting me? Which shows us the mystical reality of the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. And when the body of Christ is persecuted, it's Jesus himself who is persecuted. And so imagine Saul, who is running around throwing these men and women in prison and approving of their execution, he's coming to the reality that all that he did to them, he did to God. He did to the Lord Jesus. Why are you persecuting me? And so Saul says, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting talk about being cut to the heart but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you're to do the men who were traveling with him stood speechless hearing the voice but seeing no one saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened he saw nothing so they had to lead him by the hand to bring him into damascus and for three days he's without sight and neither ate nor drank now there's a lot of symbolism going on there, right? Saul was, he could see, but now he's blind, and now he's blind for three days, and he's not eating or drinking anything. See what the Lord's already doing to him? He's bringing him right into his own suffering. And the Lord, who is the light of the world, now causes Saul to, to be blind, so that we'll see, he will see with new eyes. Um, but the, the, the conversion is not yet complete yet. So verse 10, there's a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Now imagine being Ananias here. The Lord says to him in a vision, Ananias, he says, here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. Behold, he is praying and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Now everyone knew who Saul was. He's the guy going around killing everyone. And now the Lord's told you, hey, go to this man and put your hands on him. What's going to be your reaction? Mm. <laughs> That's probably he'd run off like a Jonah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Bye! <laughs> yeah. Well, he does put up a little bit of a fight, yeah. right? Just like Moses, just like Moses at the burning bush. You know, you're going to lead my people. You're going to go to Pharaoh and you're going to say these things. And Moses goes, mm, no. No, he tells God no four times. So here Ananias responds, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here, I've heard, he's got authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name, right? So you, sh you sure about this? And, um, and God says, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
and immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. He regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. So, the sight of the Lord blinds Saul's eyes. He's spiritually blind up until that moment that he sees the Lord. And now, the same Lord who has blinded Saul's eyes restores sight to him. The eyes of his soul are opened because he now has faith. Now, we're tempted to ask, you know, as rational people, at what point does Saul believe? You know, I want the specific point. What point does faith enter into Saul's dark soul? Answer, it's enough for us to know that he believes. That's the point. Saul now believes. The scales fell from his eyes. He's baptized. The spirit has done its work in him. I wonder when he said, immediately he said, who are you, Lord? Because he's saying Lord to begin with. Yeah, kurios. Something is working in him right then. Exactly. Because the light has shone on him. Um, yeah, and so... Same thing Nicodemus. Nicodemus approaches him at the, in the night and says, we know you're a teacher come from God. Right? This, these, this language of honor and respect, but yet still not, still kind of confused perhaps. We don't know, perhaps. But here Paul himself baptized and, and now he sees. His eyes are opened by the Lord's work. Okay, Acts 10, next chapter. We get the <clears throat> first of four household baptisms that will um, happen in the book of Acts. So this is Acts 10. This is Peter and Cornelius. Um, let's see. So Cornelius gets this vision. Peter gets a vision. They're, they're in different places, and... Cornelius gets a vision to call out um, to, have, to have Peter come. Peter gets a vision to come and, and, and be led to this house. And so they show up. I want to skip to um, verse 17. So Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had, that he had seen might mean. Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius having made inquiry for Peter's house, stood at the gate, and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, he's well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them to, to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him, and on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends, so everyone's there in the house. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell down at his feet, and worshipped him. Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, 
You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I come without objection. I ask why you sent for me. So Peter has no idea why he was sent, but he's, he knows something's up because he comes to this house and it's not just Cornelius and it's not just Cornelius's family. Cornelius has this whole big gathering of people. And um, great question Peter asks. Okay, why am I here? And I love Cornelius's answer. Cornelius says, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth, said, Truly, I understand God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is accept acceptable to him. And as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all of Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people, to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Wow, incredible sermon, and he did it all in like a minute and a half. Nice work. Christ's death, resurrection, saved by faith in his name. Maybe I should preach that today. You know. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? who have received the Holy Spirit, just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain for some days. We're quickly running out of time. Um, so this is the first of four household baptisms. We have Cornelius, then we meet Lydia, then the Philippian jailer, and then a man named Crispus. Um, and the point is, is that whenever the Holy Spirit comes upon them, we're told that they and their whole household were baptized. Um, this gets back to the culture that we were in 2,000 years ago that we do not have now. When the father converted or the head of the household converted, the whole household converted. You would not have had a father get baptized and then like a child not get baptized. And we're very individualistic. American values. You have your freedom. 
and we respect one another. Not so 2,000 years ago. It was an honor-shame culture. Um, the father, when the father was baptized, that meant the wife and all the children also were baptized in the same faith. You would not have had this freedom to, we're going to let little Harry figure out where they want to where they want to worship someday. No, no, not not at all. So, um, so the, here's the apostles, and and they're baptizing entire households. We see this with Lydia as well. Um, her conversions in Acts chapter 16. We're told after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful, come to my house and stay. We see this in Acts 16 with the Philippian jailer. He took them the same hour that night, washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once. He and all his family, and in the conversion of Crispus in Acts 18, the ruler of the synagogue Crispus believed in the Lord together with his entire household Many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. This was standard apostolic practice. Baptize the whole family. Baptism was the means to bring them into the Christian church. That all their servants, employees, and everybody else probably. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely did. And so, so the, whenever we get this Greek word household, it's, it's oikos. And, and the question here is where... Where is there ever evidence that oikos meant anything less than the entire family? Referring like only to the adults, not the children. And this is a debate. When they were baptized, were the infants baptized too? They're part of the household. They're part of the household. And You're screaming, make sure you know that. They're <laughs> That's right. And so for us, um, we, go, we go back to Mark 10, 13, and 16 for answers on this. The, the, mother, the mother, the parents are bringing their, their infants, their little children, their brephos in the Greek. They're bringing their little tr- children to Jesus that he might touch them. And Jesus says, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. So are infants excluded? From baptism, from these household baptisms, the church would say, absolutely not. It was the practice of the apostles to baptize the whole family. As they said from the beginning, this promise is for you and your children. All For all who are far off. But the amazing thing here in Acts uh, 10 is that even the Gentiles are brought into the church. And they're brought in through the Spirit, working through the Word. And baptism, it all goes together. Let's try Acts 16, real quick. The Philippian jailer converted. I just want to note this one verse. Acts 16, verse 33. Look at this verse. This jailer, we're told he take he took them. So Paul and Silas, those who were imprisoned, he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Now that's fascinating because this jailer was a pagan and he was used to being cruel. What's his job? He's a jailer. He's a calloused, cruel. Why did Paul and Silas have wounds? He was a tough man. He beat them. But he hears the word of the Lord and look what his look what his reaction is. He's tender. He's merciful. He heals their wounds. He's putting gauze on them and washing them. This jailer, 
this tough man. This it's no little thing that we're told he took them the same hour of the, hour of the night, and he washes their wounds. We see pagan cruelty change to Christian mercy. We see a man who's very calloused change to one who's tender. And then he's baptized. Um, at once, we're told, he and all his family. And he brought them up into his house, and he sets food before them, and he rejoiced with his entire household that he had believed in God. Acts 19 this conversion of the Ephesian Christians, we said we get there. This is Paul in, in Ephesus. Uh, verse 1. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country, came to Ephesus, and there he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Okay, so that's probably not the leading question, right? This is, we're cutting to the chase. Paul is probably having a lengthy conversation getting to know them and at some point in the conversation a discrepancy came up and so paul asks um, did you receive the holy spirit you know, he's trying to figure out something he's getting he's putting his thumb on here they say no we've not even heard that there is a holy spirit and he said well into what then were you baptized they said into john's baptism and paul said well, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And there was about 12 men in all. Yeah, Acts 18. Uh, well, Crispus is the ruler of the synagogue, the... the um, the Greek word is archisinagos, the, the, the ruler. I mean, he's the one in charge. And he believes in the Lord and he's baptized. And it's actually Crispus that when Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1.14, just take a look at that real quick, 1 Corinthians 1.14. Paul writes here in his letter to the Corinthians, I thank God that I baptized none of you except, and there he is, Crispus. Um, and Gaius, right? So this was, this was a, a, a big conversion in the first century. Like Saul and Paul, Crispus was a well-known name. Um, their family, were told, they were a famous family of potters dating back to the 130 B.C. area. So they had been around for a century. A well-known family, very prominent family. Um, Titus is part of that family, and then Crispus. You'll meet them both in Acts 18. Crispus is the ruler of the synagogue. Titus is the potter, his family, and um, well-known military leaders as well. And they're both converted and baptized, and they make an appearance in other, in other letters as well. So that was a very quick jaunt through Acts. Um, we got to like 8 of the 12. We'll call it good. Next week, we're going to take it. So we're going to jump out of Acts and we're going to start looking in the first few centuries of the church. It'll be our one class devoted to uh, historical uh, analysis of baptism. Just one uh, issue in particular we're going to take a look at. Let's end with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven.